Hey, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host. The Sunshine Boys are joining us, of course, and that would be Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson. Tim Williams joins us from Florida, as well as we've got Bill Bender, the great writer from the Sporting News. And, Bill, it's been a heck of a week in college football. Uh, you're writing a story right now about Tennessee's no coach, FSU got a new coach, and Willie Taggart. Um, he was one year removed from Oregon, where they're burning him in effigy at the, as we speak. Um, UCF? Is, UCF got their new coach. Thank you. Uh, it's hard to keep track of all these guys. Florida got a new coach. Um, it's crazy. So what's happening 20. next, Bill? Yeah, 2020 by my count. And I was talking to you before we came on, and, and there have been higher numbers of coaching changes. But this one – was by far the wildest, especially in the SEC when you consider Florida gets a new coach, um, Arkansas, A&M gets Jimbo Fisher, um, Ole Miss goes on probation, retains their coach. But, I mean, obviously the story of all stories was this uh, Tennessee coaching search, which was the – at one point was the handbook on how not to handle things. And in the end, it looks like they're going to get Jeremy Pruitt, who – I you know it's too early to judge and that but I guess that's Phil Fulmer's saving face on what was a complete debacle ten days ago. Joe Henderson, any questions from Mr. Bender? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right when you say it was a debacle. Um, it was it was a debacle times ten, and it re in my opinion really for a time devalued the Tennessee brand. They look like clowns, but um, this seems like a solid hire. Uh, Tennessee is, you know, they should not be underestimated. They have resources. They have the will. Um, they certainly have uh, the passion. Um, the irony of this, of course, is that they didn't want Greg Schiano, and what I think part of the reason there was, with, you know, they, the, the stuff about him and Penn State was trumped up. They just didn't like his style and defensive style and all that kind of stuff. So what do they do? They go out and hire a defensive coordinator. So in the end, they kind of end up, they're going to end up with the same brand of football, but you know, um, Pruitt has a great reputation. Uh, he's done a good job. It's a good hire for Tennessee. And there's probably no one more relieved in the, in the NCAA landscape right now than Phil Fulmer, uh, because uh, he's got this behind him and now they can move forward. Ira Kaufman. All right, I got a question for you, Bill, about uh, Tallahassee. <clears throat> Bill, it seems to me that uh, upon Jimbo Fisher's departure, Bill, there's not an awful lot of hand-wringing from the FSU side. So that begs the question. Um, did Fisher wear out his welcome <clears throat> in Tallahassee, Bill? Uh, and, and do I have a wrong read about this, that uh, they're not necessarily uh, shedding tears over his departure? I think so. I think this was a case where both sides needed a fresh start, and that might seem odd considering the track record of success Jimbo had at Florida State, which was long. I think, um, yeah, I mean, it, I, as the point I was bringing up, was even through that 29-game win streak, there was always something. Always something to deal with, whether it was Jameis Winston, later Dalvin Cook. Um, even, you know, a couple of weeks before he left, you had this 
video of a couple players getting in a fight with a fraternity. And I think between that, the facilities, the losses this year, the Jimbo needed a fresh start. Who's who's not going to take $75 million? And then um, <laughs> on the other side, Florida State get, gets Willie Taggart, a guy I think young, up-and-coming, Florida guy, works well with quarterbacks, checks a lot of boxes for me. Obviously, Western Kentucky and Oregon even aren't Florida State, but I'm excited to see what he can do there. Tim. Well, I, let, let me let me jump in there for just a second. Oh, go ahead, Joe. Um, sure. To uh, to make uh, to kind of build on Ira's point about shedding no tears, there are a lot of similarities, uh, in my opinion, between Jimbo's departure and that of Urban Meyer from Florida, because Urban Meyer had won two national championships uh, at as at uh, Florida. And yet when he left, the sound from Gator Nation was crickets. They were really glad to see him go. And I think it got to be that way with Jimbo, too, because enough was never enough. He kept wanting this. He wanted that. He wanted this. He wanted that. Chasing the, the bright new baubles. And then that, that, uh, the, the cheap shots he, he leveled at FSU after he left. Oh, it was a no-brainer to go to Texas A&M. Uh, don't let the door hit you out on the way out, pal. And uh, I am immediately rooting for an eventual showdown in a major bowl between Florida State and Texas A&M because that would be a, a delicious theater uh, right there. Uh, and as far as Taggart, uh, Sunshine Boys know that I, I think he's terrific. Um, and interesting for Florida State, when they hire a coach, they tend to stay there for a long time. Bobby Bowden, they've had two coaches since 1976, Bobby Bowden and Jimbo Fisher. So Taggart just becomes the third. So he says it's his dream job. He's going to stay there uh, forever. And uh, I hope for his sake and FSU's that is true. Tim. You know, Bill, and when all these – coaching changes come down in college football usually the losers are the smaller schools the ones that can't hold on to these up-and-coming coaches but not everyone lost their coach that had a a strong season so who were some winners of this coaching change season for the small schools obviously there's still Oregon's job to be settled and others but who looks like they're going to retain their coach and maybe have another good run in them well, I think, you know, obviously there's two down in Florida, uh, you know, Lane Kiffin, because if you look at Florida Atlantic and what they did, and guess who they open up with next year, Oklahoma on the road. So I'm sure Lane will tweet about that a little bit um, on the way up. Um, I don't know if Charlie Strong's a legit candidate for Oregon, but, you know, another year at USF isn't going to hurt. And then outside of kind of the circle there in Florida, I think Jason Candle at Toledo is a guy that is going to move up. If you guys like Matt Campbell at Iowa State, you're going to love Jason Candle too. It's kind of the same branch. And then um, Scott Satterfield at App State. I always wonder. I mean, this is three straight cycles where I'm wondering why is he not is he not getting calls or is he just taking the calls and saying I want to stay at App State. If you look at their uh, track record since coming up to the FBS, it's pretty darn good. And you wonder, you know, when the breakthrough is going to happen for him. By the way, Will, um, Charlie Strong isn't a candidate at Oregon. Uh, Kevin Sumlin 
is one of the guys they're talking to. They uh, have Mario Cristobal, who they named as the interim coach, but Mario could get that job. Um, we have to see. The most interesting thing to me about FSU this week, guys, was that out in Oregon, the number one person who the Oregon fans voted both online for the newspaper and online on radio was Jim Levitt, who came with Willie as the defensive coordinator. They wanted Levitt to be the person who um, took Willie's place at, at Oregon. So you got two former USF coaches uh, coming on home to FSU. Well, I, I, in, in Oregon's, you know, Jim Levitt's a, a fine coordinator, but and he did have success at USF, and we can't deny that, but to the good people of Oregon, I would say careful what you wish for there. And uh, I think um, – I think he is where he needs to be. Uh, you, you don't. He's enthusiastic. He's, you know, all the things that we know about. But I don't think he's the out front face of a program, uh, unless he's changed a whole lot since he left USF. I don't think he has. But that's okay. <laughs> and, Although, and by he, the way, don't give him. I don't forget that he has. You know, he's got some pretty good street cred when it comes to. You know, when it comes to be a defensive coordinator. Well, a guy can coach. Um, but uh, here we go, Jim. Not for nothing. But yeah, thank I do you. Have to make this, I do have to make this small point about Charlie Strong. Okay. There were a lot of people linking him with the FSU opening. And as far mm-hmm. as I know, he never even got a sniff. And mm-hmm. to me, that was always ridiculous because Florida State is never going to hire – a guy who was the defensive coordinator at Florida ain't ever going to happen. So people need to consider these kinds of connections when they start, you know, throwing darts at the board and trying to figure out who's going to go where, you know, use a little common sense here. So are we good with the final four in college football guys? I think they. Well, I, think they I, I live right. up. In, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I, I think they. I think they did it right. People love to uh, throw darts in Henderson's expression at the committee, but um, I think it's tough to find fault with it. I like Alabama at number four. By the way, gentlemen, <clears throat> I had a little discussion with Gerald McCoy, uh, Oklahoma pride of the Buccaneers, a uh, Pro Bowl defensive tackle yesterday, and. He didn't want to answer any negative questions about the Bucks. He said, no, too much negativity around here. Well, I was standing <laughs> right next to him, so I said, how about those Sooners? How about those Sooners? And everybody laughed, and McCoy then said, uh, we're going to take care of Georgia, pummel them, and Clemson's going to beat Alabama, and then we're going to take care of Clemson. And he looked around the locker room at anybody from Georgia and anybody from Clemson and wanted to take on all commerce. He's uh. He's feeling it these days, guys. He's Oklahoma Nation, and um, the way they're playing, uh, I don't think you can dismiss them. Bill, um, does Oklahoma have a legitimate shot at this thing? I think the good thing about it is all four teams have a legitimate shot. And and to answer Jim's question from the top, you know, I'm based out of Columbus. It it, it hurts some people up here. I was never a big Buckeyes fan. Some people in my family are, but – I think it was a 50-50 decision for the last spot, and they made the right call because if I have to choose between not winning the SEC championship and 
a team that lost two games and lost by 31, I'll take Alabama. So to answer that question, I like Alabama against Clemson, <laughs> which is crazy to say, but I think, you know, you give Saban a month, they'll be a little bit healthier. They're going to be angry. Um, that's going to be a fun game. And then the other one's such a contrast of styles where Georgia's like mini Alabama right now. And, um, you know, Baker's going to run around and make some plays. So I couldn't be more excited about these two playoff games. I think they did get it right. And you can make a legitimate case that all four teams can win that. And I don't think uh, – if you look back at the other four playoffs, I don't think you can actually make the case in the last three years. This is a year where I could see any one of these four teams actually winning the thing. Joe? Well, yeah, i gotta, I got to chime in on um... – all those points, you know, I've, this is this is going to be a great playoff system, uh, a great playoff season, I should say. All four teams are deserving. Um, Ohio State, sorry, Ohio friends, the, the committee made the right choice. You don't get to lose by 31 to Iowa and still get in the playoffs, period, paragraph. And now the interesting argument that the Buckeyes Buckeye Nation came back and countered, and Bill, I'd like your opinion on this. Hey, Ohio State had a much higher strength of schedule than Alabama. The SEC was not as dominant this year, which makes it interesting that they got two teams into the playoff. And the the Buckeyes, they don't have to play a team like Oklahoma, but they did. And, you know, uh, Buckeyes play Oklahoma, Alabama plays Mercer. What's the deal? Uh, so, but Based on what we saw on the field, the committee got it right. Well, part of that to me, though, is there's something to be said about Alabama was the number one team all year, all year. And they lose one game on the road to the hottest team in the country. Who was real, Auburn was really good at home. And um, I get Ohio State, the, the, uh, the frustration, because I still think, and you guys might laugh me off this podcast, I think the Big Ten's the best conference because it has – four legitimate playoff contenders in one division in Michigan. When Michigan's your fourth best team and had Jim had a heart, uh, if had the Wolverines had a quarterback, they'd been a lot different too, but they won eight games in their sleep. So I think the big 10 was the best conference. I just, I think, you know what hurt them guys that Wisconsin wasn't quite as good as everybody thought. And, and I still, you know, I actually like Miami against them in the orange bowl because I don't think Wisconsin's that great. Tim? Well, I would agree with you. I would agree with you on Wisconsin. I don't think anybody really thought they were that good to begin with. Um, but uh, let me jump in with one other small picky point for Al- sure. in Alabama's favor. I just trashed their strength of schedule. But they did open the season with Florida State at a time when people thought the Seminoles were going to be pretty good. So if FSU had been what people thought the Seminoles were going to be, uh, then – maybe we wouldn't be uh, as down on uh, Alabama's schedule as we are. Not for nothing, Joe, they were rated third when they played Alabama. Yeah, Yeah. that's what I mean. Uh, So at the time we thought, man, this is the game of the year. And then now Florida State has to bring Louisiana Monroe back in to just get into a mediocre bowl game. So there is that. Right, Tim, anything for Bill on this? 
you know, we talked a little bit right before we started recording about this. I have an issue with the New Year's Six Bulls, the Bulls outside of the playoff. I understand there's still conference affiliations with a lot of these Bulls, and I don't understand why. This year, I think they missed a huge opportunity because while Miami and Wisconsin and the Orange Bowl is going to be a good game, I would have really loved to see Miami and Central Florida for, you know, the unofficial Florida championship. It could have been in the Orange Bowl. It would have been a great celebration of the season UCF's had. They get to play Auburn. That's also going to be a good game at the Peach Bowl. But it just seems like a missed opportunity because of these conference affiliations. Do you agree, Bill? I totally agree, and, and you know I can speak to you guys as a mid-American conference grad at, at Ohio University. Like my dream scenario as a Bobcats fan, knowing that they'll never probably play for the playoff, is to go to an NY Six Bowl and, and play Ohio State. You know that'd be that'd be the dream to beat Ohio State at some point in a in a New Year's Day Six Bowl, or or somebody like Michigan. You know what I mean? Like a big time Big Ten school. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it's it, the conference tie-ins are holding that back a little bit. I guess the, the most frequent question I've been getting all week is um, should we go to eight? And I'm not vehemently against it. I just don't want to go to eight because I think if we would have went to eight this year, you and, and, and I and everybody else in here were talking about should Penn State be a playoff team or should Miami be a playoff team? And I don't want to do that. I thought the Ohio State-Wisconsin or Ohio State-Alabama argument was fun. and. Uh, I want to see the best teams in the playoff, and I want to see four teams in the playoff. I think right now it's the best system. Is there which one of the? Um, and I'm going to ask. This is for the entire panel. Which one of the um, New Year's Day, New Year's Six? I'm sorry, games uh, to you is the most entertaining. I would say Ohio State and Southern Cal. That's a classic matchup. That's a Rose Bowl. And, well, in the past, in the past, yeah, that's yeah. that's you know John McKay and Woody, Woody Hayes, Hayes and right. all of that, you know, all of that, and uh, so yeah, I mean that's that's one. It's, it was kind of like uh, you know Penn State in the Rose Bowl last year. It, it ended up maybe uh, being one of the best games of the year, and mm-hmm. I think this has the potential to be that too. So that's that's my vote. Tim? I'll go with UCF versus Auburn because now we get to we don't necess, we're not gonna get to see UCF in the playoff, but for the people that think that it's a shame that they didn't get a shot, even though we know why they didn't get a shot and it's probably a good call. But for those people that think they really did deserve one, if they play tough or beat Auburn then that kind of underlines how good of a team they were. They that that's their argument for maybe they they had a had a spot there, but uh, that I think is going to be a really fascinating game. Like I said, I would have preferred they play Miami, and that would have left Auburn and Wisconsin, which would have been a great great game. But I'll take UCF and Auburn in the Peach Bowl on New Year's Day. How about you, Ira? Uh, I think Tim's onto something. Uh, Bill, I, I think there's a mystery surrounding UCF. There's a mystery. How good are they? Who did they beat? And playing a traditional power, 
I think will go a long way towards uh, <coughs> legitimizing UCF. <coughs> They're going to score their points, Bill. Now, they've also been known to give up a lot of points. Can they control the ball and, you know, uh, get off the field against Auburn enough to showcase that flashy offense? But to me, uh, they are the mystery team uh, of New Year's Day, and uh, we're going to know a lot more about them uh, after the clock strikes midnight uh, uh, New Year's Day. The Ira, the question I've got there is um, uh, on UCF is, all right, Scott Frost has, has gone up to Frostland in Nebraska, took seven assistants with him. So they are, UCF is a team in transition at this point. And I just don't see how that equates well for them uh, in, a, um, in, a, in a game against a team like Auburn. Um, I just think it's, um, it's, ask, it's almost asking too much uh, for UCF to be able to focus the way they they uh, they need to, and and to to get it done against a, a team like Auburn, which um, the SEC championship game notwithstanding, I think they were playing the best football of any team in the country in the last month. But Joe, Auburn's going in on a downer, and we don't know how motivated they will be. Joe, you could argue that. You could you could, but I won't. <laughs> They're also playing in the same place they lost um, the SEC championship game. That's why I would have liked to see them play Wisconsin. It would have been that would have almost canceled out because it's the same way for Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Hey, let's uh, change. I got a quick go question ahead, for Bill. Jim, go quick ahead, question for Bill. Uh, Bill, I can't let you go on the college front <clears throat> without asking you a question about the uh, the NFL front in terms of uh, the draft. Um, and Baker Mayfield in particular. Now, Bill, a couple of weeks ago, I had a high-ranking NFL executive tell me that he was standing, uh, happened to be at the same occasion, same event as Baker Mayfield. And he questions whether Mayfield is, uh, is, is taller than six foot, never mind six one and a half. Um, he said he was taller than Mayfield, looked down on him, um, doesn't necessarily look down on him as a prospect. So, Bill... You know the history of NFL quarterbacks. You got the Drew Breeses, far between. But height is always a factor. Well, always a factor in evaluating quarterbacks at the pro level. Bill, so you see him as a first pick. Is there any way that he doesn't become the third quarterback off the board? Can he get ahead of uh, of Darnold and Rosen if they both come out? Uh, what is Mayfield's pro status in, in your eyes? Well, I, I know the Breeze comparisons have been made. I, I personally, he's not – the arm's not quite as strong and not he's not quite as big. But, I mean, I think the Favre comparisons are fair in some ways because he he makes plays and he has a cannon. And, I, and I've been telling people this all year. When I went to the Ohio State-Oklahoma game on September 9th, two thoughts popped in my head real early in that game. One was I underestimated Baker Mayfield, his arm strength, his ability – those kind of things because I kind of dismissed him as just a big 12 guy. And then two was he's the best player on this field right now. And there are a lot of NFL and all Americans on this field. So 
you know, I, I think that's what gives Oklahoma the advantage in the playoff in a lot of ways is they have the best quarterback. And as far as his NFL, you know, look ahead, I would take him over Rosen. I know Rosen has a better arm. I don't care. I, I would take him over Lamar Jackson. I think the toss-up becomes Sam Darnold and him because I like Darnold too. I think Darnold threw a lot of picks this year. That doesn't concern me as much because his offensive line wasn't quite as good. So I think it would be a toss-up between those two. And obviously Baker Mayfield has some extracurricular things that some of them aren't aren't that big of a deal. But um, he he's interesting. I don't think he's Manziel, though. I think that's the most unfair comparison getting lumped in on Baker Mayfield. He's not Johnny Manziel just because he does a few things where uh, that rub people the wrong way in, in an era where everything rubs everybody the wrong way. Hey, uh, Bill, I got a question for you uh, related to a team near and dear to your heart, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, It's actually a two-part question. One, does Hugh Jackson survive? And two, is this the year they finally take a franchise quarterback with that that top pick? Well, uh, the first question, uh, it'd be hard to keep him if he goes 0-16, but it would just – we'd be rinse repeating coaches at Cleveland. So, you know, can they get a win? I'm taking my son up Sunday. We're, we're, we're actually Packers fans up here. So we're going to go watch. I think actually think Cleveland's best shot at a win is Sunday against green Bay. Um, but I think they'll end up keeping him maybe for another year and then franchise quarterback. They should, but I don't know if that answer is out there. I don't know if Darnold or Mayfield or, Who's the other one? Uh, Lamar Jackson. I don't know if any of these guys are that guy. And that's the problem. I guess you could take Darnold and just bank in on that, or you could let Kaiser do it for another year and and see what he can do. The, the one thing they need, they need some guys that can catch the football. I mean, Josh Gordon, they were acting like it was the biggest return since the franchise came back last week. And he's just – he's not who he was – what, four years ago? He's not that guy. He's pretty good, but they need some help catching the football. Bill, if uh, Hugh Jackson does decide to stay, um, do you think next fall the the Browns will be going after Willie Taggart? <laughs> well, you know, I, I've always said, you know, like, and I, there's this has always been a hot rumor up here, and it's, I don't, I, I have nothing to back it up, but I think one day, not this year or next year, I think Urban Meyer's next play is the Browns. And I say that, and I think Jim's from, Jim knows the deal up here, where um, mm-hmm. the if he won one playoff game with the Browns, he would be a bigger person in Ohio than Paul Brown. Paul Brown's like the, the icon up here. You know, he, mm-hmm. you guys know the history with the Browns, the Bengals, Ohio State. Nobody, there's no football figure in Ohio bigger than Paul Brown. And I think if Urban Meyer won one playoff game with the Browns, given what he's done with Ohio State, um, you know, and, and being a Cincinnati guy, he played down there. He, I think he'd be the biggest football figure in this state. And I think that would be – it would be cool, but but you know what? It probably won't work out that way. They'll probably just keep recycling through NFL coaches at the rate that they've been doing. It's way too high. Well, the problem with the Browns is they don't need a new coach. They need a new um, personnel guy, a new general, a, 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 a guy that can get some players in there because Bill Belich, they fired Bill Belichick there for once, for goodness sake. Um, 
it's coaching is important. Obviously I'm not devaluing that, but you got to have players first and the Browns, all you got to do is look at them and go, this, these guys by NFL standards are just not competitive. And it shows up week after week after week. I don't know uh, if, if the owner uh, has the acumen at this point to adequately address and fix that. I, how do you feel about that, Bill? Uh, ownership the biggest, is the, a problem the biggest, the, the biggest mistake they've made in the Hugh Jackson era, and I, and I want to see if you guys think this is true, is they didn't because of, and it's in light of what happened earlier this season. They didn't trade for AJ McCarron on day one. They should because that was Hugh's guy. He liked him when he was the offensive coordinator at the Bengals. If they would have traded for AJ McCarron right off the shoot, and I, you know, maybe he's not great, but. That way you don't waste a year of, what was it, his first year, McCown and RG3. You don't waste a yeah. signing on RG3. That was a wasted signing. And then you don't really go through the motions with Kaiser this year and maybe focus on a real franchise quarterback. So, And McCarron, I wanted to see what he could do because I, I liked what he did toward the end with the Bengals. So I think that was the biggest mistake they've made in the Hugh Jackson era, and they doubled down on it by embarrassing themselves with the trade deadline story this year. Well, speaking of the Bengals, um, what's your read on Marvin Lewis? Oh, man. I mean, <laughs> Monday night, and I, a lot of my buddies are Bengals fans. I'm a Southeast Ohio kid. So it, it, my phone didn't stop banging Tuesday. And here's my <laughs> thing. It, it really – I think Marv's gone. I think they played like a team that was, like, trying to win one for Marv on Monday night against the rival Steelers. But – I'm probably the wrong person to ask on this, but I think the Steelers are just as complicit with some of the stuff that goes on as the Bengals are. Like the Bengals take the blame for it, and Berthick takes the blame for it, and and the Bengals are the dirty franchise, but the Steelers are just as complicit. And and it it got ugly Monday night. I thought Juju Smith's shot on um, Berthick was ridiculous. Same with Iowoka. But, um, you know, what happens afterward? Antonio Brown's saying karma at his locker room, and I'm thinking – we're going to do this again next year. They're, they're going to play another mm-hmm. ugly game this year. It's like, it's not Ravens-Steelers. Those guys actually play for something. But I think it, it's it's the old, I don't know how many of you guys have brothers, but it's the big brother kind of pushes his little brother into doing something, and the, and the Bengals walk into it every single time. I blame, well, the, I blame the coaches, Jim. I don't think this can change <clears throat> until the coaches take. And I love Mike Tomlin. I think mm-hmm. he's a hell of a coach. Got a chance to, uh, you know, upset the Patriots maybe this year and get mm-hmm. get in the Super Bowl, and he's already won one. <clears throat> but um, Tomlin is complicit in the words of Bill Bender, and I agree with Bill. Um, Tomlin is a tough guy. He talks a tough game. Can only imagine what he's telling his troops uh, behind closed doors. Uh, and Joe, uh, if Marvin comes back, uh, Bill's right. We're going to see the same thing again next year. And unless the two coaches set the tone, this is not going to change between these two teams. No, I yeah, I think I think the other the other part. Sorry, real I, just real quick is like right. he just I already just said it with Tomlin. I, I've always told my buddies, well, why doesn't Marv call out Tomlin? Why why hasn't Marv said something like this is ridiculous what they did, or or vice versa that hey this is this has got to stop. Um, you know, Burfick can't be acting like that. Instead, it's the players doing it. And 
you know, I was at that wild card game a few years ago and how that ended. And I just think, you know, if the Bengals bring in a new coach, he's got to be a guy that, you know, I've said for a couple years, and I don't know that they can do it now. I I thought three – I thought they should have hired Mike Zimmer, first of all, and how how'd that pan out. And then I thought two or three years ago, I was like, why not go get Tom Coughlin? But, but, and look how that's working out for Jacksonville. The Bengals need a disciplinarian coach that isn't going to, you know, let some of these things happen because unfortunately that's how the Marv Lewis era will be remembered. It, it will be remembered for not having enough discipline. Joe, well, you were going to say? Yeah, I was going to say, talking about, you know, Marv being gone and everybody kind of assumes that that's what's going to happen. Um, but I, his contract's up and we all know, you know, he may be ready to walk away. Um, I don't know, but I wouldn't, I'm not going to push all my chips into the middle of the table on this because Mike Brown uh, has, has stuck by Marvin year after year, after year, after year, 15 years now. And Marvin's had a lot of success, but we all know, you know, about the playoff uh, failures and Mike Brown believes in a stay the course mentality. He thinks, you know what, we're, you know, we've still got all these weapons and we just had some bad luck. We had some injuries and I still believe in Marvin and it wouldn't shock me to bring, uh, if he brought Marvin back. Tim, you know, while we're talking about coaching changes, I guess I should start by running this by Ira. We both cover the bucks. I'm getting the impression that Dirk Cutter's not just on the hot seat, that in the next four games, the Buccaneers have to do something of significance to get him to keep his job. Do you agree with that, Ira? Do you think Dirk Cutter, you know, if things don't change for the rest of the season, he's going to be out the door? I would say this, Tim. <clears throat> Jim, they're going into the last quarter of the season, the four and eight. Guys, if they finish the year on a six-game losing streak, uh, it's going to be a little deja vu uh, of, of what happened to Raheem Morris in, in 2011. They lost the final 10. Blazers didn't want to fire Morris. He had just won 10 games the previous season, mm-hmm. uh, shockingly. Um, and that was a 10-win team. Uh, he did a heck of a job. But sometimes your hand is forced. And, Tim, six losses in a row at the end of the year, arrow going down. Winston plodding along, not getting any better. That's the reason Cutter's got the job is his relationship with number three. Um, I, I think they'd be forced uh, to make a move. Now, Tim, there are some people out there that think the decision's already been made uh, and that he's gone. Um, of course, the Gruden rumors are strong. Um, ironically, I'm going to spend some time with Mr. Gruden tomorrow uh, at McDill Air Force Base, Jim. He's uh, Oh, cool. He's He's doing a little practice with, with the uh, with the guys there, and he's going to take some questions. And so I don't think I'm going to ask him about how practice went. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, and, and it's and it's uh, it's a little surprising, Bill, that um, Gruden is taking questions from the media tomorrow. Isn't that interesting? At at a at, at a base that's uh, not that far away from Raymond James Stadium. So, Tim, if it was up to me, if the Bucks win. Sunday, which they're capable of beating an average Lions team, 
and the Bucks do play better at home, guys. They're three and two. Um, I would make I will I will I'm going to make a strong case to keep Cutter because now there's got to be some there's got to be some major changes. You keep Cutter and you still make major changes. If he doesn't want to make them on the staff, he's gone, including his buddy Mike Smith, who has had a terrible season as defensive coordinator. Uh, Tim, you can't keep changing coaches every two years. If you do that, I think ownership owes it to everybody to uh, question their, their own process. They're, they're the ones that are hiring these guys. And if they keep getting it wrong, you know, it's on them. So all things being equal, Tim, if they don't lose the final six, I, I would keep Cutter and, and order him to make some significant changes. I don't think you're wrong there. I would also just say, since you mentioned the Gruden rumors, I just don't see it. It will be interesting to see what happens next week when the Buccaneers are at home on a Monday night and Gruden's in the building. It will be interesting to see what the fans do, if there are any chants about John Gruden in the stands. But I don't know how realistic that is. He's going to be an expensive hire. I don't know if the Glaciers are willing to spend a lot of money on the coach. If they do fire Dirk Cutter, they're still going to have to pay him some money. So it's it's hard for me to believe the Gruden rumors, and I think that's something that any Bucks fans listening, I would pump the brakes a little bit on calling for Cutter's head because chances are if you roll those dice, you're probably going to end up with something a lot like Dirk Cutter is right now, an unproven head coach trying to make it, trying to – get his way up the ladder because a lot of the guys that could come in that you really want aren't going to take a job the way the Glazers have been running the team. They're not going to take a job and get fired in a couple of years. And the ones that might are going to ask for too much money. And Jim, last thing, Jim, last yeah. thing on the uh, Buck situation. Sure. You know, if you really break it down, guys, <clears throat> now, you, now you're firing a coach if you fire him. Uh, Bill, you're firing a guy after one bad year. Dirk Cutter won nine games last season. Um, they were in the playoff hunt at eight and five. Lost a couple of games down the stretch on the road. Um, so now, what's the message? You can't have one bad year and keep your job in Tampa? Um, Jim, for a franchise that had a lot of stability with Dungy and then Gruden, those guys combined for 13 years. 13. Mm-hmm. And now you've got a revolving door. Um, that's a big problem here in Tampa, Jim. You, you can't keep doing mm-hmm. this. No, you're well, right. Well, Ira, Ira, the, yes, as yes, much yes. as Cutter, as much as Cutter, it begs the question about GM Jason Light because he has had more than one bad year. Let's face it. And he doesn't have a contract going into next season. That's right. And, you know, I mean, the, leave us not forget how high the hopes were this year. You know, the, the offense was going to just – you know, be a pinball machine and it, it has not been in sync from the start and they've not adequately addressed the chronic pass rush issues. And, you know, you alluded to the job that Mike Smith has done and yet, you know, his name is popping up as a potential uh, replacement with the New York giants. So maybe that'll solve the problem uh, for Dirk Cutter. If, if Smith gets that, uh, that gig, but, um, you know, uh, I think I'm 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 less about the coach and more about the organization because you look at the teams that have been successful, 
and they all have top to bottom good organizations. It's not just the coach. It's it's the player personnel guy, the GM, and and the owner, and right on down the line. You're right. And Jim, you know, Buck fans mm-hmm. look to the north and the east, and they see a Jaguar team <clears throat> that looks like they're playoff bound. Uh, looks like they have a good shot to win their division. Defense, running game, things that the Bucks uh, do not do particularly well. Uh, Jim, so, you know, stable organization. Here comes Coughlin, you know, lays the law down, takes mm-hmm. a few shrewd personnel moves, picks up Kalei Campbell, Jim, who the Bucks were looking at from Arizona. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to pay him what Campbell wanted. The Jags did. And now the guy's a potential defensive player of the year. That adds to the, the, the misery index for Buck fans. I'll tell you what, if they're looking for player personnel, um, I'm going to throw a name out and suggest that they take a look at him, and that would be Doug Williams. Doug has done a very good job of uh, hop, you know, cobbling together lineups around the league here, and specifically for the Redskins the past couple of years. I, I think Doug, um, Doug's a guy who might be a nice fit there. Oh, there's some bad blood. There is some bad blood, as Joe knows, between uh, the Bucks and Doug Williams. That uh, <clears throat> Joe, to this day, I, I don't, I don't think that rift has really been healed. No, and and uh, I agree uh, with Jim that Doug has done a good job. I think he's a, he's a very good football man, um, and maybe on some level, he would like to come back here and and straighten out the ship again. But uh, there were there a lot of uh, a lot of issues when he left, and at this point, maybe uh, he might be best served by just uh, leaving Tampa Bay in the rearview mirror. Mm, okay. One quick note on Doug Williams: the Fritz Pollard Alliance that recommends candidates for head coaching jobs and for GM jobs released their recommendations yesterday and they recommended Doug Williams for a GM job for what it's worth. So, so he got a, a boost there. Hey, I got a, I got a question for Bill, Jim. Uh, sure. Got an NFL question for you, Bill. <clears throat> Somebody asked me the other day, um, you know, who would you pick as NFL MVP? And what struck me, Bill, is how wide open, unlike the Heisman race, Bill, the very uh, antithesis, wide open. Bill, I give you the following names. Uh, Russell Wilson, who's coming on strong. Drew Brees. And the guy, Tim, and I can and I can see Tim, Tim Clinch in his fist. A guy who, who keeps getting overlooked because he's the best of all time, which is Mr. Brady. Um, Bill, this thing is wide open. There might even be a, a couple other candidates. Uh, in yeah, I would, yeah, I would say those guys are all good names. I would say Antonio Brown's a candidate because I don't know that I've seen a player do the things that he's doing right now in a long time. I, I mean, he is, the, he is the best at his position, without question. He, he is the best. Yeah, and I and the Steelers keep winning. Um, but I think the story for me, just just as you know, as objectively as possible. I think it's the Saints in general and Drew Brees and this revival around the running game. I mean, Alvin Kamara has been fantastic, which, yeah. you know, like Jim was saying, I'm doing a story about uh, 
Tennessee today. Part of the reason Butch Jones doesn't have a job, he didn't give the ball to Alvin Kamara. Um, you know, and we're seeing that every week. So I think he would be my pick now, but it's very fluid going down the stretch. I mean, Brady, Wilson, I don't, is Case Keenum like a fringe candidate considering what the Vikings <laughs> have been doing? I think you could make a, like a lightweight case for that. Tim, uh, Tim, is, is is Brady as good as he was last year, or if if not better, Tim? Smarter, perhaps. He he he's just proving year in and year out that he has a football IQ that is unmatched. That he can read a defense about as well as anybody. This might be in a lot of ter- a lot of senses the most impressive year he's had. I wouldn't say the best. I think. 2007 is about as good as a quarterback can play statistically. So I I can't say it's the best year he's had, but it's the most impressive given his age, given how the Patriots started and the amount of work he's had to do. Granted, they're in the AFC East, so they kind of won the division before the season started, but he is really putting on a show. Frankly, if I had a vote, I think it'd still go to Carson Wentz at this point. But Brady makes a really strong case. And, you know, I just looked. It's surprising. He's only won this award twice. Absolutely right. You're absolutely hmm. right. Okay, boys. Um, here's our final call. And that would be, give me your final four. Like we talked about, we started this off with college football playoffs, and we were cool with that. Who would be your final four in the NFL if we were playing by the same rules? Um of the four through, you know, start at number four and work down through number one as your top teams in pro football. And they can be all AFC or all NFC at this point, whichever, whatever you, whatever you want. Bill Bender will give you the first shot. Yeah, I've done this a few times with our college football playoff picture, but I would probably say New England's a one seed. I mean, you know, that they just keep doing what they're doing. I would say Pittsburgh two Philly three and then you get if we're doing it that way where are you going to play that Philly Pittsburgh game you got to play it in Pennsylvania somewhere um, maybe in the midpoint Um, and four probably Minnesota I think you know they've been impressive with Zimmer Um, I I just continue to to look back at the Bengals and be like you had him he he was there you know you look what he's done at Minnesota it's been fantastic and then So who am I leaving out? The Saints, probably. That, that'd be the tough pick between the Vikings and Saints for that fourth spot. And your social media. Yeah, I'm at BillBender92. Um, we're getting into bull preview type stuff, and I always enjoy talking to you guys because I just feel like this is a normal conversation. But uh, I tell you, that, that college football season was wild, and I think these playoffs are going to be reinforce the idea that the 14 playoff is perfect. Tim, I'll give you next up. Well, my number four team is the Rams. I have the Steelers out of the playoff, and here's why. Because if we're thinking like a college football committee, the Steelers play down to their opponents a lot of times. If they're playing, especially on the road, against a lesser team, they play down to that level and make it a closer game than they should. They lost to the Bears when they had no business losing to the Bears. They had a pretty tight game at Cincinnati in a game they should have cleaned up. I know that's a division rivalry. They just barely scraped by the Colts, and the Colts have had the wheels falling off all year. 
So I would knock the Steelers out and put the Rams in. The Rams have three losses, but they're very impressive to me. The three seed would be the Minnesota Vikings and then the Philadelphia Eagles at two and the New England Patriots at one. And okay. you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Tim Wrights Sports. All right, Mr. Uh, let's go with Joe Henderson. You're up. Well, you can find me on Twitter at JHendersonTampa. And I'm about to commit sacrilege. I will rank the Minnesota Vikings number one. The New England Patriots two, Philadelphia three, and uh, like Tim, I'm going to leave the Steelers out, uh, and I'm going to put uh, the New Orleans Saints in at number four. Hmm, cool. All right, Ira. I'm going to jump up, in. Bud. Let me jump in oh, real go ahead, quick. Bill. As a college guy, you guys leaving out the Steelers, it's very much like leaving out Alabama. I'm just saying. <laughs> or leaving the out brand, Ohio the State. Brand is, the brand is strong. I wouldn't compare the Bears to Auburn. <laughs> Auburn's better. Um, Ira, you're up, bud. You can get me on social media at iCalfley76. Now, guys, a few days ago, <clears throat> I would have had the Steelers at, at number two and possibly one. Tim, because, uh, you know, if Le'Veon Bell's healthy in that playoff game, who, who knows what happened uh, against New England uh, a year ago. Um, he's that important. But this Shazier injury, which looks, you know, hopefully it's not as bad as it appears to be, um, that's a big chunk of their defense. I think he was kind of their defensive leader, um, and their defense has been coming on strong. So I'm going with Saints 4, Henderson's Vikings Three, and, and I think Minnesota is formidable, no question. Um, I will go with Philly, two, and I will go with uh, New England on form uh, as number one. And, uh, Tim, let's face it, if uh, if the Pats are uh, the number one seed and you got to go through Foxborough, uh, we could probably pencil them in to, to, to show up in Minneapolis. Let's not kid ourselves. Well, that brings to a close yet another edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. Now, if you've not yet subscribed, it's easy to do, and it's also free. Here are five different places you can get the Sunshine Boys podcast. Now, let's start with the iTunes store, okay? Next up, Google Play. Third on the list, Blog Talk Radio. Fourth is the Stitcher app, which many of you have on your phones. It's an outstanding place to find podcasts of all genres so you can just search us on there on stitcher and poof will come up finally last but not least i am one of the 125 million people who have the tune in app and you can have it on your phone or of course on your tablet you can download that tune in app for free and once again all you have to do is search the sunshine boys podcast it'll pop up there hit favorites and then every week of the Sunshine Boys will find its way to either your cell phone or your tablet, okay? So subscribe today on one of those five platforms, and by all means, keep listening to the Sunshine Boys podcast. All right. Special thanks, of course, to the Sunshine Boys themselves, Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson, to Tim Williams, and to our buddy and um, outstanding writer, for the sporting news, Bill Bender, who was our guest this week. We wish you all a very safe and enjoyable weekend. Take care now. 